Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This is our weekly podcast from our Sunday service. Well, good morning. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I looked uh, on your website to see what this uh, series that we're currently in was all about, and I saw that Pastor Nate was not in the sanctuary, and I said, my goodness, something happened there, and it did. <laughs> And uh, you're here in the gym, and uh, we've got people in the bleachers, and it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. So um, we're in a series on the I Ams that are part of the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is what we call the Gospel of Belief. That is, the, the thing that really Jesus is narrowing in on is asking the question to people on a regular basis, do you believe I am who I say I am? And he, uh, he does that, and John records this, through some, some points, which Pastor Nate called drop-the-mic moments, okay? And those moments are around seven miracles that John records and seven statements that start with, I am. Those statements are clear declarations that Jesus is the Messiah, he is not messing around. He is very clear about what he's trying to say. What's interesting about being here at, Christ, at Portland Christian Center is I've been here three times since I moved to, to the area, and every time I've been assigned a text that I've never preached from before. So uh, thank you, Pastor Nate, uh, for an opportunity to study something after 50 years that I have never studied before. Uh, the Gospel of John is, is really interesting. Uh, the Gospels as a whole, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, basically do for us something very special, and that is they answer the question, so what is God like? Yeah. And the answers to that are in the Gospels, and basically the answer is look at Jesus. That's what God is like. And when you look at the Gospels, what you see is Jesus interacting with people, talking to people, healing people, doing all sorts of things and interacting. And so the answer to that question, what is God is like, is looking at Jesus and the way he interacts with people. We also know that John is probably the latest of the writers of the Gospels. So he writes, in fact, uh, almost up to about 30 years after, say, Paul dies. He is the last of those apostles living. He also, in chapter 13 of John, says... I was Jesus' favorite. John clearly says that he was Jesus' favorite. And John also tells us the intention of this book. If you go to chapter 20 and chapter 21, at the end of this gospel, you will see John say that he is intentional about the miracles he chose and the statements of Jesus he chose. He is very clear. He says, in fact, he says, look, Jesus said, did so many things and said so many things, there is not enough, basically, and he would say paper and pen, to, to write everything that Jesus did. But John says, these are written that you might believe and believing have life through his name. So the intent of this gospel is very clear. He is not messing around. This is not discussion, okay? This is not like, well, let's talk about that. Let's see the viability of that. No, Jesus says things clearly, and John says, I'm writing this to you for clear intent, that you might believe, and believing have life 
through his name. So the chapters that we're looking at right now are really in a, a 7 through 11, basically, that we're looking at right now. And these are what is called a period of conflict. This is when Jesus, if this whole gospel is about Jesus basically looking in the eye and say, so what are you going to do with me? These sections tell us the story of folks who, who encounter that kind of directness. And we see that they encounter bewilderment. So sometimes folks listen to Jesus and they're flat out astounded. Sometimes they simply oppose him. They say, you're nuts, literally. Okay? And sometimes they say, you know what, let's, I believe. You know, one person said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay? So as we look at this account today, we're going to see all of those things. We're going to see bewilderment. We're going to see people who oppose Jesus and say, uh, no, not for me. And there are going to be others who are going to say, you know, I, I can't quite figure this out, but uh, I, I'd like to take the next step. And before we get to the statement that I'm going to look at today, I want you to see that chapter 9 of the Gospel of John is a miracle. And that miracle is really a case study on bewilderment, opposition, and I'm going to check you out. And it's a story that, that John chooses... Remember, he's intentional about the miracles he's done. Jesus did a lot of other things, but he chose this one. And it's a story of a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples see this man, and they have this discussion. And the discussion is, did, did, did this man, was his family sinners because he was born blind? And Jesus looks at him and says, come on. And he, he kneels down. And he spits on the ground, and he mixes it together and puts together, like creates mud, and puts it on the guy's eye. That's where they got the statement, that's mud in your eye, okay? Not really. <laughs> that's another context, okay? But he put mud in his eye, and he tells him to go and wash at a particular pool there in Jerusalem, the Pool of Siloam. The guy does so, he's healed. And then, now... Now, the religious folks come and sort of accost this guy. And, of course, Jesus intentionally does this on the Sabbath. So the religious guys, are, they're heightened. And they see, they see this guy, and he, he's not blind anymore. And they say, who did this to you? You know? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm seeing now. And, and they went to his parents first. And they said, who do you say did this? And the text says that the parents are scared that if they say it was Jesus, they'd get kicked out of their synagogue. So they punt and they say, uh, you know, the son there, he's old enough to speak for himself. And they come to the guy and they, you know, they have this jibber jabber between his, you know, is, are you a sinner? Were you healed by Jesus? Is, is Jesus claiming to be Christ? And the blind guy, now imagine, you have, we don't know how old he is, but he's never seen in his life. He has only had light in his eyes for like minutes. He's looking at the colors, he's seeing objects, he's only, a, he's only thought about in his mind. He, he never had the capacity to even conceive colors or shapes. And they're asking him goofy questions. 
And he says, hey guys, have a nice discussion. All I know is once I was blind, now I see. The discussion follows between Jesus and the religious guys. And it's all about being blind and seeing. Okay? And Jesus essentially says, you're blind. And they say, how can you say that? You're of Satan. And Jesus sort of shakes his head and basically says, look, you are the professionals in this. You're waiting for a Messiah. I'm looking at you. This man has just been healed. So what else do you want? Do I call you blind? Absolutely, I call you blind. So we go from that case study then to what Pastor Mael talked about last week. Jesus says, I'm the door, okay? He starts talking about being this only doorway, only gateway into true abundant life. And he says, I've come to give you life and, and more abundantly. And then he goes to the statement that we're going to look at now. And that statement is the statement, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So here's what John 10, verses 11 and following says. This is Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Again, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own only know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep. They are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up. This charge I've received from the Father. So the first thing we see here is that he uses the word good shepherd. Why would he do that? Because shepherds were at the bottom of the social ladder, in biblical times. They're obviously a term that they use because they're shepherds everywhere, but they are not viewed well. Every society has an occupation that is at the bottom of the social ladder, and we make fun of those people. That's why Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I am not a shepherd like you are used to, and your society says is at the bottom of the food chain. I'm the good shepherd. What it tells us is that shepherds we're at the low bottom of the social structure. I remember, this is a long time ago, I was in the nation of Lesotho. Lesotho is a small nation down in the southern tip of Africa. They have a king, and the king literally owns the cattle, sheep, and goats on a thousand hills. He has a special brand that he puts on those, and there are shepherds all over the hillsides. And they watch, they, they stay out in the hillsides with all of the king's cattle and sheep and goats. And I was driving through that area with some Sutu tribesmen. And I, and I, being the tourist that I was, I said, could I stop? Because these shepherds were out there, usually teenage boys, 
and they would stay out there in the cold, and it can cold up in the mountains in Lesotho. And they have these very colorful blankets that keep them warm, and they stay out there in the middle of the night. And I just wanted to take a picture of these teenage boy shepherds. I got back into the car, and this elder looked at me, and he said, You know, when you become a shepherd in our society, you will rise no higher in life. And I realized that still today, there are still people, because of their occupation, are viewed negatively, which is why Jesus uses this statement, I'm the good shepherd. And what he says here is that he is not a hired guy. So he's not just out for a paycheck. The sheep, he says, belong to me. I care about them. And I'll actually, I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep. A good shepherd during that time a person who would be worth their weight in gold, was someone who would go after the beasts that would come after the, the sheep. Remember David? David said, I kill lions, I kill bears. I mean, there, is, there was enemies who would came, come to these sheep, and Jesus said, I am that protector of you. I'm not just a good guy. The thing that we need to see about Jesus in the Gospel of John is that this is not a Jesus who is saying, now let me give you some moral teaching, or let me give you something you can talk about. He is flat out saying, I am the Son of God, I am your Savior. There is no no mistaken about what he's doing here. And when he says, I will lay down my life for the sheep, he is telling us he's not just a great moral teacher, he's telling us he's the Savior. He is speaking directly to people who should understand. He also is the one who sustains relationship. He says, I, my sheep know my voice. You know, shepherds in this area here, they, they didn't keep their sheep for meat in most cases. They kept them for wool, okay? So in fact, these sheep would be in the flock for a long time, and they actually would have names, and the shepherd would know them and call them by name, and they would know the voice of the shepherd. There was an intimate relationship between the shepherd and the flock. Jesus here begins to tell us that he has a clear mission, and that mission is that it's not only for his people, the Jewish people, but in fact, there were others who, were, who he was saying, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the door to, I'm the way to God, I am your savior, I am your redeemer. And he says, I'm going to lay down my life for those people too, not just for you. He is clear about his mission. And when he says, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, I am God who is like a shepherd. So we see this picture of trust that emerges in this particular verse. You get this sense of you can be in this place, the place in relationship with this shepherd. He is not one to rip you off. He is not one to lead you on a wild goose chase. He is the one who comes, and it is the place of trust and meaningfulness and wholesomeness and life that Previously, John had just said in this chapter, I have come that you might have life more abundantly. Everything that more abundantly means, Jesus is describing here. Now that hope for place is something that even humans desire. 
One of my favorite writers in organizational life is a guy named Patrick Lencioni. Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorite guys. Google him. He's like an evangelist, you know, for organizational health. And there's a statement that I want you to see, that even human beings put together a description of abundant life. Here's what Patrick Lencioni says. The impact of organizational life goes far beyond the walls of a company, extending to customers and vendors, even to spouses and children. It sends people to work in the morning with clarity, hope, and anticipation, and brings them home at night with a greater sense of accomplishment, contribution, and self-esteem. The impact of this is as important as it is impossible to measure. Listen to that. This is abundant life. This is Patrick Lencioni, the, the evangelist for organizational health. He's saying that there, there, organization and corporate life needs to be a place in which people get up and want to go to work. Why? Because they feel like they're making a difference. They feel like, in fact, their life counts. And not only is it in that corporate place, but it's also when they get home, this joy, this sense of, a, of a accomplishment, this sense of esteem that they receive filters over into every part of their life. Even human beings describing it through organizational life and health understand what it is to be safe and trusted and productive and esteemed. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a relationship with him that can, can rearrange the very fabric of your life where you feel mistrusted. You are now valued. Where you feel as if you're being led down a crooked path. This is a place where you are safe, where you are aware that you are loved, where someone actually gave his life for you. That's what Jesus is trying to get across. His intent is clear. When he says, I am, he's making a claim that he is God. He is not beating around the bush. As I said before, he's not telling us, you know, I'm, you know listen to what I say. I, I, have, I have studied a lot, and I think my wisdom is worth your consideration. No, he looks at us in the eye, and he says, with love, but with conviction, I am the good shepherd. He clearly states that he's more, as I said, he's more than a good teacher, a moral guy. He says he's the door and the good shepherd. Now, the thing that is so amazing about this particular you know, miracle in John 9 and now the statement in John 10 is that he is trying to speak to a people who have been looking for a Messiah. They've been looking for this door. They've been looking for this shepherd. And when he shows up and demonstrates what it looks like, they're somewhat bewildered. And in fact, the religious leaders say that Jesus is going to lead them astray. Uh, when I was growing up, I spent all my summers out in western Nebraska with my granddad and my uncles. They were farmers and ranchers out there. And in fact, my goal in life, and I went away to the University of Illinois, I, I wanted to get an agriculture degree to take over my granddad's farm. That was my, that was my goal in life. 
And uh, growing up, uh, we raised a lot of sheep. And uh, when we sent off those sheep to, the, to market, you know, big semi-trucks would come in and you'd have to load them out. And, and sometimes sheep simply did not want uh, to do what you wanted them to do. They had this innate sense that destruction and doom, <laughs> the door they went through was not a good door. <laughs> it was, well, you know, some days we just, we couldn't, we couldn't get them in the truck. And we had a, a secret weapon. And the secret weapon was Judas the goat. Now, Judas the goat worked cheap. He worked for cigarettes, okay? You, 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 we had a pack of cigarettes, and we would give them two or three, and we say, Judas, go up the ramp. And Judas would go up the ramp, and because goats and sheep are sort of like cousins, they would say, well, Judas is going up there. I guess that door is safe. And they would walk up into the truck. And when they were all in the truck, we'd close the door, and then we'd say, Judas, Judas. And he would work his way back along the side, and you'd hear him come to the door. You'd hear him go, bah. And we would open the door. He'd come out. And the door was closed. And he'd ask for more cigarettes. <laughs> Two images for you. Judas the goat, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is not messing around, but neither is he in your face. He is the door. Every other door you go through will trick you. Every other door you go through, expecting wonderful things, will lead you to destruction. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not just a hired hand who works on a contract. I am the good shepherd. I want to create for you a life you've never dreamed of. Think of your best life. And there is more. I've come to give you life. Think about it. Think about your grandest dreams, your, your greatest hope for accomplishment. Jesus says, I've come to give you more than that. You can't even frame it in your mind. He wants to change your preferable future. Now, 2,100 years later, the reality is, is when we're faced with Jesus' claims about himself, the same response comes. First of all, there's bewilderment. We, we see other people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We see the change in their life. We view somebody transformed, whether a physical healing or their, their, in a sense, their emotional being has been transformed. We're bewildered by that. We see that change and we say, I wonder what this means. But we live in a day and an age where there are a lot of folks who have followed a lot of paths. And there's this cacophony of voices out there appealing to us. In a day of technology, you have them with you 24-7. They are calling to you. 
They are appealing to sell you something that they tell you you need. That's the world we live in. You may be one of those people. <laughs> you may be here this morning and wondering, what, what's, what is everybody so excited about? I know I've, I've seen other people excited. I had a ticket to the Super Bowl. You know, I saw excitement. How is this any different? Honest question. There's opposition in the stories we looked at today. We said that there are people who flat out oppose Jesus. That's to be expected. You may be here this morning and you don't know why you're here. You, you're, you're just generally opposed to Christianity. Because you've, you've seen the works of some of our crazy cousins. Okay? Every family has crazy cousins. But the truth is, opposition to Jesus and his claims comes because we are created with a default position to live life by our own rules and without reference to God. And when you and I come face to face with the Jesus who says, I am the good shepherd, the immediate response to that is, oh no, Oh, no, I can do quite well by myself. And then we point to the poor examples of Christianity that our crazy cousins have exemplified. Jesus is going to stand in front of you until the day you die. And he's going to tell you that he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And some of you are sort of dipping your feet in the water. <laughs> Just like some folks here. I mean, in the story uh, in, in, in John 9, you know, the, the first, for instance, the, the person who had been blind from birth was healed, said, you know what? I don't get any of this. All I know is life has changed for me. Okay? That was a first step. There's a lot journey's much longer than those first 30 minutes. But you've responded to the claims of Jesus with a consideration of a first step. You know, I just think that this particular story, and, I, and I'm just struck, as I looked at this text over and over again, I'm struck by the fact that Jesus can handle your bewilderment. Jesus can handle your opposition. Jesus can handle your willingness to take it slow. But he's not going away. Because he is the one who gave his life for you. The Apostle Paul said, while we're yet sinners, what's a sinner? A person who wants to live life by their own rules. Okay? Some folks do better at it than others. <laughs> but the reality is that every one of us, just like this book, this, the Gospel of John is a book about people facing the reality that they have been created for a purpose, and that purpose is through one door. His name is Jesus Christ. 
I unapologetically stand here this morning and I say to you that Jesus is the only door. Jesus is the only good shepherd. I don't do that presumptuously. I do that because Jesus said it himself. And I am not here to convince you because I can't. Only God himself can do that. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one door, there's only one power that can rearrange your thinking from the default position of living life by your own rules to realizing that there is safety in the fold of the shepherd. Just like you to bow your heads now. So... Jesus, I ask that you would come across this uh, gymnasium today. There's all kinds of folks who have responded to this short message this morning that comes from your word. Uh, Some with bewilderment, bewilderment, some with amen, some with opposition, some with, okay, uh, maybe I can take the next step. And in these moments, O Lord... I ask that you would do your work. I've tried to lay out what seems to be a simple statement that Jesus made, a life-changing statement. But I know that only your work can continue to convince folks that the statement that you made is true. I sense as I walked in here this morning that um, in this sort of temporary quarters, there's sort of a, it's sort of jumbled up the, the life of Portland Christian Center. Uh, it very well could be that that's exactly what God wanted to do. That in that unusualness, we get out of our comfort zones and we may be more open to what God wants to say. So I'm going to be quite blunt this morning. I'm going to um, ask you to consider the good shepherd. And I'm going to ask you to consider whether you've ever said yes to the good shepherd or whether you feel you need to take next steps. Musicians are going to lead us in a song. And during that time, I want you to contemplate. I'm going to believe that the Spirit of God is all over this place. And the Spirit of God is going to do convincing that I could not do. You watch out. Because the Spirit of God is in this place. Eternity hangs in the balance your life hangs in the balance. So I'm going, to have, I'm going to pray in just a minute. And what I want to pray for is those of you who are realizing that this invitation by Jesus is the real deal. It's not adjacent to your life. It has to be center in your life. 
So I'm going to pray now, and I'm going to believe that in these few moments as I pray, that you will be convinced that he is the good shepherd. Whether you're in a state of bewilderment, opposition, or willingness to take the next step, say yes. As I said in this church, your best yes to Jesus. Jesus, this is a holy moment. It is a sacred moment. Lives hang in the balance. Eternity hangs in the balance. And I pray, dear Jesus, you will not allow any of those folks who are here today to leave this place without answering the question that you posed in this book. What will you do with Jesus? Do you believe? Do you believe he is the Son of God? I ask, oh God, that you just allow the Spirit to come and place that question in front of each of us. Walk down these rows. Melt hearts. Open eyes. Crush egos. Remove shame. Release, oh God, a willingness to walk through that door and meet the Good Shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more, or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for our live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com.